Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Tammy Bruce. I'm Steve Ducey. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, June 20th, 2022. I'm Mike Emanuel. South Carolina Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace recently took on Katie Arrington in a heated GOP primary. Despite Arrington holding an endorsement from former President Donald Trump, Mace came out victorious. As she gears up for the general election, Mace is urging Republicans to focus on inflation and how it's impacting Americans. That is where our focus really ought to be on things that are hitting the pocketbooks of everyday hardworking families and Americans. I'm Chris Foster. Zach Didier died of a drug overdose, 17 years old. His parents' mission now is to save other kids. Sharing his experience, how he was victimized, and sharing that this is not an isolated incident. It's happening at an an alarming rate in our country. And I'm DeRoy Murdoch. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Soaring fuel prices and escalating prices at the grocery, a devastating one-two punch for millions of American families. The message at the White House from Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre is they get it. We understand what every what, what American families are going through. Uh, as you know, uh, this has been a priority, uh, bringing down in inflation and doing everything that we can uh, from our from our perch to, to make that happen. South Dakota Republican Senator Mike Round says he gets the sense the White House is more interested in playing the blame game. The Federal Reserve, uh, they can handle the demand side. They can slow down demand by making money more expensive. But what I'm afraid of is is that this administration is going to blame the Federal Reserve for inflation when they really can't take care of all of the different uh, parts of what's causing the inflation today. With economic worries weighing heavy, American voters will have their say in 140 days for critical midterm elections that will decide the balance of power in Congress. Republicans like Senator Steve Daines from Montana are predicting millions of Americans will vote for change. We're seeing a red wave that's building unlike anything we've ever seen in our nation's history. That's what the numbers are showing us as we look at numbers, what the American people are saying. They know who's to blame for this, and they know the elections have consequences. It is time to elect new people to Washington, D.C. Coming off a big primary day win in South Carolina, Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace is also predicting a GOP sweep, setting her sights on winning two more years in November. Well, I work really, really hard. And I promised when I flipped the seat from Democrat to Republican in 2020 that no one would work harder than I would. Congresswoman Nancy Mace represents South Carolina's first congressional district. And we proved that you could have a dream, set your goals, work really hard and 
be true to your principles, your values, your policies, and you could win. And we won by almost nine points. We knew going in, we'd win by around 10 points, but it just goes to show in this country, when you work hard, stay principled, you can win at many, many things. I think a lot of folks were looking at your primary race and wondering what the former President Trump factor would mean in the race. What did it mean? Well, I think it shows a couple of things. I mean, endorsements only go so far. I've never as a candidate been really big on endorsements, but at the end there, I had endorsements from local elected officials. I had endorsements from former Congressman and former Trump Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney. I had endorsement from Nikki Haley. And so that was something that really helped propel us as well at the end, but they only go so far. It's really up to the candidate. And I'm in a swing district. And if we're going to get a majority in November, we have to win seats like mine. And we've got to have good candidates that can win not only their primaries, but their general elections. And I think that's what people saw as well. And when it comes to the former president, I've not abandoned his policies there. He had great policies, whether it was immigration, whether it was tackling lower taxes or civil rights issues. Those are issues that play really well in the area that I represent and are things that I've always supported. Heading into the midterms, many Republicans, including yourself, have voiced the probability that we'll likely see a red wave. What do you hope comes from that red wave if we do see one in November? Well, I hope like I hope we do see that red wave. Our country needs it. Every crisis we've seen over the last year and a half has been a crisis born out of and created by Joe Biden. And one of the things that I hope that we stick by are our principles, because with this awful inflation, double digit over the last 90 days, almost 10%. Looking at the issues at the border, we need strong conservative leadership in this country. We need a lot of common sense to come along with it because we've got to reverse this trend that we're facing right now. And these are not easy issues. And Republicans in the past, when we've had the majority, have fumbled. We fumbled on health care. We have been problematic when it comes to deficit spending and raising of taxes. And we need some solid fiscal conservatives with policy chops to help get us and our country out of the mess that Joe Biden has created. I covered the Hill for more than a decade, and I know that being in the minority party is miserable on Capitol Hill. How much more Mm -hmm. effective could you be if you guys are the majority? What bigger role could you play for your constituents if Republicans are in the majority? Well, Republicans are in the majority on oversight is one of the three committees I sit on. I will have a chairmanship and we're part of the leadership team on the oversight committee, which is going to be really important when we're investigating corruption and fraud, waste and abuse, but also having policies that matter. How are Republicans, how are we going to tackle inflation? And I'm going to be promoting the penny plan. I'm going to be promoting lower taxes. I'm going to be promoting policies that help our supply chain, that promote free trade and incentivize more and greater manufacturing here in the U.S. or countries closer to the U.S. so we can get over some of the challenges that we're facing economically right now. But that is where our focus really ought to be on things that are hitting the pocketbooks of everyday hardworking families and Americans who are frustrated like hell about what's going on in this country today. With inflation and high gasoline prices being top concerns for Americans for months now, the Fed's raising interest rates, trying to get a handle on inflation, likely to raise those interest rates even more in July. How will this affect your South Carolina constituents, Americans across the country when they expect some relief or or hope for some relief in places like the grocery store and at the gas pump? 
Well, gas prices are really, really concerning because when the price of gas goes up, the price of everything goes up. That's how our food is delivered to grocery stores and to restaurants. It's affected everything. And with the interest rate hikes last week, we're seeing a slowdown in the markets, particularly in real estate market. At the same time, stock markets are crashing and you're seeing that nervousness and potential signs of a recession in the future. And what we need to do is be sure that we're focusing on the supply chain, figuring out ways to have relief. And that's going to be largely in regulatory policy at the federal, state and local level. For example, we have houses that can't close here in South Carolina because it doesn't have the right kind of metal or plastic around one of the you know water meters, for example, like what you know we just have some really silly regulations like in the state of south county you gotta have a license to hang wallpaper right and so we need to remove some of these barriers that are preventing businesses from doing better than they can in really challenging times we need to focus on balancing the budget on reducing taxes for businesses, individuals, and the working class altogether. Those are areas where we could focus on also focusing on our ports. For example, we don't tax imports of boats into this country, but we're taxing baby formula, mm-hmm. right? Like why in the middle of this supply chain crisis with baby formula, are, do we still have these policies which hinder and make more expensive food for our children? And so we've got to look, take a very common sense approach, find things that every American can agree on. And that's how we're going to win in November and get the majority back. We got to stick to our guns. We got to do what we say we're going to do and not do what we've done in the past, which is ignore American families and working families who are working hard to put food on the table for their kids. Obviously, you're out and about talking to constituents in the middle of this campaign. What are they telling you about how inflation is hurting them most? Well, they're seeing it because their wages, their their wages can't keep up with the cost of goods, particularly going to the grocery store and getting gas. And when you have to make the decision whether or not you can buy your kids sneakers for school or get them food on the table that week, I mean that those are tough decisions that families are having to make and people are having to pick up second jobs. We're seeing a lot of that down here, but we're really struggling at the same time businesses can't fill fill some of their jobs. They don't have enough employees. And so everybody is struggling in every way, shape or form, which is why it is so important that Republicans have a fiscally conservative policies going forward into November. And when they lay those policies out, when our leadership does that, that we stick to them next year. And it's not going to be an easy task, but I've got a good track record and I'm going to be working really hard to ensure we meet the needs of every family in South Carolina and across the country after November. The New York Fed has predicted, quote, the chances of a hard landing as occurred during the 1990 recession are about 80 percent. What do you make of folks talking the possibility of recession? And do you think we're in one? Well, it's hard to say if we're in one right now, but all Mm -hmm. indications are showing that that could be on the horizon when you're looking at the stock market, looking at the cost of inflation right now. All those indicators are pointing in that direction. And we haven't done anything really until recently raising rates last week. It's a little too little too late at that point. But like last year, when we're having all these issues with inflation, we didn't have a single hearing on supply chain, right, for example, which contributes to it. We have not even had anything to do with lowering taxes. In fact, the infrastructure bill last year had 42 new taxes. And when those taxes and fees are implemented, 
inflation is going to increase. Look at the deficit spending that we've had in this country over the last year and a half. Those things all contributed. And the, the Congress has nothing to do with the Fed. We can't control the Federal Reserve, but the trillions of dollars that they're printing every single year also contributing to inflation. And it seems like nobody has a plan. Republicans, on the other hand, we've been working with task forces to come up with plans to tackle immigration, to tackle spending, the economy and inflation. And I hope that uh, we're all going to work hard and row in the same direction, make sure we get the majority and make sure we can implement those things when we are in the majority next session. In your view, coming out of the pandemic, should the White House have been able to predict these economic challenges much sooner? Absolutely. And you've sort of seen them, you know, Joe Biden, especially in his administration, just bury his head in the sand and ignore all the indicators that something is gone terribly awry. He did it in Afghanistan. He's continuing to do it at the border today. We hear lie after lie from the administration. And even when we disagree, we should always be honest and tell the truth to the American people. And that is not what's happening. It's been cover up after cover up on every single issue. We are not having hearings and talking about the things that we should be talking about. All they want to do is spend more and hope that it works and throw everything on the wall that they can. But those are not things that are working or being effective. And we're seeing that with double digit inflation over the last 90 days. Do you feel like the administration kind of buried its head in the sand, you know, until inflation was overwhelming Americans? I do. And you see that with the Biden administration. We've seen that when we were dealing on Ukraine issues, trying to ban Russian oil and gas imports until he had enormous pressure from the Congress, from both sides of the aisle on social media even, and then pressure in the media until he sees that pressure. Only then does he make the right decision to, you know, to reverse course. And he'll say one thing 24 hours later, do the opposite. Um, but we've got to continue to put that public pressure on him and the Republican Party and the leadership and those supporting the party have done a very good job of putting that pressure on the administration. We've just got to keep it up until we're in the majority after November. Finally, you just been through a, a tough primary race. Uh, I mm -hmm. think it was professional. I don't think it was nasty or, or mean spirited. But are you convinced that Republicans are unifying around you and that there will be a lot of unity on the GOP side heading into November? We had a unity event on Thursday evening between myself and my opponent. And minutes after we, we won on Tuesday night, President Trump also congratulated our campaign. That's the kind of message we need to send to Republicans and independents across the country that we have it together. We are going to unify. We are going to work together because our kids and our country are counting on it. And uh, I worked really hard last time when I flipped the seat in 2020. And so I've, I've seen this movie before and I know how to navigate it. But this time around, we're in much better footing to bring the party together because the former president, my former opponent have already stated, you know, it's time to work together and get in the majority in November. Congresswoman Nancy Mace of the great state of South Carolina, newly engaged and newly victorious <laughs> in the primary. Congratulations all the way around. Thank you so much. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. This is DeRoy Murdoch with your Fox News commentary coming up. 
Last week, the Biden administration announced a goal and a plan to cut the number of fatal drug overdoses by going harder after Mexican drug cartels and spending more on treatment and overdose reversal medications. The Centers for Disease Control estimates nearly 300 drug deaths a day now, up from 185 three years ago. The majority of those deaths are from synthetic opioids, mostly fentanyl. And starting today, Fox News takes a closer look at the causes of and possible solutions to the opioid crisis in a series of reports across several of our platforms. It's called Fentanyl, the Poisoning of America. The first report features Fox News medical contributor Dr. Mark Siegel telling the story of the Didier family. Zach was just the kind of kid that every parent would, would hope to have. Laura and Chris Didier lost their 17-year-old son Zachary, a high school senior in Rockland, California, to a fentanyl overdose on December 27, 2020. He was a super happy child, inquisitive, loved his dad, loved me. Uh, he had two older siblings who just doted on him. He was just a great kid. Everybody liked him. He enjoyed, you know, trying out new things. He was uh, taught himself how to play piano. He was an athlete. And he just had a giant heart. You know, since losing him, we've had so many young people reach out just to say, you know, Zach was always smiling at school. He he always tried to cheer you up if you seemed sad. He always tried to encourage people. And um, he was just really fun. He was funny. He was smart and just a real driven attitude. A lot of kids experiment with drugs and alcohol. And he thought he was buying a Percocet, which is, you know, almost as innocuous as you can get. Um, tell me about how you found out later how he got that Percocet and, and, and just what happened that day. Well, um, what we learned was that Zach was approached by a drug dealer on a social media platform called Snapchat. And, uh, he was, uh, it was a, his understanding that he was acquiring a, a legitimate pharmaceutical grade Percocet pill. And why he wanted to take a pill like that, we, we may never know whether he felt it would help him with any uh, stress to manage stress or anxiety or to manage pain. We were so blindsided by this. We, Zach didn't have a history. Zach was doing great. And it was a real shock when we started doing our, our research on this because there was no awareness in our area these pills were just starting to come into our area in 2020. So even our law enforcement and public health officials were trying to really understand, you know, what they were seeing with these tragic numbers of deaths. And yeah, it's it's been very eye-opening to see just how accessible these drugs are to our young people, either direction, whether they're looking for something or they're being approached, you know, it, it goes both ways and it's so accessible and, and, and lethal, of course. And these were just things we were naive to you know, because drugs and, and alcohol um, misuse had not touched our family. Our older two kids never had any kinds of issues. They're doing great. And Zach never had any kinds of issues. So um, it's been a real eye-opening experience. There are two discoveries when Zach died. First one is that social media platforms are almost like a grocery store to purchase pretty much anything under the sun and it's anything and everything imaginable from products or or paraphernalia and i didn't know that um the other big discovery was that there is deception that includes selling and marketing 
uh, counterfeit prescription pills, pills that look like legitimate pills, but they're actually fake. And the idea is to convince someone like, hey, you don't have to deal with the hassle of going to a doctor and convincing them of giving you a, a prescription. You can just get it on your own. So those two counterfeit prescription pills and social media having uh, providing accessibility are the two main uh, discoveries. It sounds like part of education now from parents to kids and the teachers or whoever else to kids isn't just so much, hey, kids, don't do drugs. It, part of it has to be, OK, don't do drugs, but you might do drugs. And if you do, here's why it's even more dangerous now. Absolutely. That's why uh, as we were getting our, you know, gathering our information, because when they had found Zach, Chris found Zach and the paramedics came and, you know, tried, you know, to work on him, but it was far too late um, for him. And it was the coroner's office when they came um, that first, you know, mentioned about fentanyl. And and it, it was just because of this trend, because there were no drugs in Zach's room. There was no um, evidence of drug use, you know, to him physically. So it was just this giant mystery. But the coroner said, we're going to suspect that we'll find fentanyl in his toxicology report. We dove into our research while we were waiting for the results. And and even before we got them, you know, we talked with each other and said, if, if they confirm this, then we're going to be as vocal about this as we can be. And so that's why we go to high schools, we go to middle schools, we go to community organizations, and we share Zach's story. And, and exactly like you said, it's just giving them that education so they understand the gravity of the of the risks that are out there now. Yeah, I was talking to other, excuse me, I've, <clears throat> excuse me, I've spoken to other parents and family members in your situation that have uh, sort of tried to turn their loved one's drug death into to try to save other kids and other families from the same fate. Does it make you feel in a way like Zach is still with you? You know what I mean? Like, is, is it a way to keep him around? I, I absolutely feel that Zach, uh, his story is an opportunity to remember that every life is far more than the tragedy of their ending and sharing his experience, how he was victimized and sharing that this is not an isolated incident. It's happening at a, an, an alarming rate in our country. I feel helps make me feel connected to Zach and that we're doing his work for him because I really believe that had this tragedy happened to one of his closest friends and he learned that there was deception of this new danger that he would want to get the word out and help save his friends and prevent further loss of life and doing that for him makes me feel a little closer and connected. I was just going to say, we, we've been so grateful. Our county, our, our county and our neighboring county, Sacramento County, and our county, Placer County, when we decided to go public, they um, they really met met us where we were and said, let's partner. How can we get, you know, help amplify the message? And, you know, in our community, his story is, is really making a difference. So it does keep him alive in that sense. Um, the, go ahead, Chris. There are a number of, of stories that Laura and I have learned from friends that we know and strangers we didn't know beforehand where they they shared that your story, I think, had a direct influence on my child or my child's friends. Um, and many have said, I think that story saved my child because 
they watched Zach's story last night and they had admitted that they purchased something on Snapchat and they didn't realize that, oh my gosh, could this actually be a counterfeit? And they had their products tested and well, guess what? It was counterfeit. It was with fentanyl in it and could have killed them. The young man who's accused of selling the pill or pills that uh, that killed your son, he's, he's been charged with involuntary manslaughter. Can you tell me the the status of the case there and how he was caught and, and how you feel about all that? Yes, he um, he was caught fairly quickly because um, Zach's girlfriend knew his his phone code and was quickly able to get it unlocked for the investigators. Um, there was a plethora of evidence on Zach's phone um, to lead to a you know, positive um, ID and arrest. So we've been, Zach's case has been handled, you know, in my opinion, very well by our local district attorney. It is not a federal case at this point. It's with our local district attorney's office. Um, We uh, obviously can't speak too much about the details of it. We're due back in court at the end of the month. Well, and to clarify, Chris, Mm -hmm. uh, involuntary manslaughter is one of multiple different charges. And uh, because of the growing attention and and efforts to to minimize um, you know fentanyl related deaths that our district attorneys are throughout our state are, are increasing their efforts to try to bring heavy charges. So as Laura mentioned, we may be going one of a cu- couple different paths here. Hopefully by the end of this month, we'll we'll find out more. And to answer your question, how we feel about it, you know, it's very troubling. Regardless of the outcome of of what happens with the perpetrator and how he's sentenced, it it never really will feel fully like there's justice that's been served. The only real justice that could be served if if this young man that's being charged and convicted, if he can be forced to make a time machine and go back and bring our child back. But we know that can never happen. Uh, Zach, again, was 17 when he died. But to you, I mean, you... You experience his whole life. When you talk about him, when you think about him, I imagine you're you're all over his life. You know, hey, remember when he was four and did that? Remember when he was ten and got that hit in Little League or whatever? And you're you must sort of relive uh, his life in, in your when, in talking about him, right? Absolutely. I um, you know, and with Facebook, you know, you get those memories that pop up every day. You know, so I'm so grateful for those. They'll. And I'm grateful that I posted about my kids a lot because those memories pop up and it's like, oh my gosh, I remember that that moment. And I would just encourage all parents, take pictures, take videos. Um, and I know sometimes people will say, oh no, don't do that because just live in the moment, just soak it all in. But you never know if at some point some tragedy can happen and that's all you have. So, I mean, I watch videos of him and look at pictures of him all the time because it's, it's a... Uh, 17 years goes by really quickly and that's all that I got with him and he was so amazing he really lit up a room and the void of his you know not being here it's it's moment it's 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 huge it's just so big because he played piano constantly he constantly filled our house with music and 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 silliness and fun and so yeah, I do still feel like he's with me and and all of that is is beautiful, but but having him not physically here, it's it's excruciating. It's an anguish that you just you can't describe. 
really only another parent who has gone through this and losing a child can really fully understand the anguish of it. Laura, Chris, I'm very, very sorry for your loss. And uh, I, I think that you probably are saving lives. And um, that's a good thing. You can hear more of their story on this Fox News media special, Fentanyl, the Poisoning of America. Uh, Laura and Chris Didier, thank you very much for talking to us. Thank, thank you. you. The week ahead. Monday, federal offices and the stock market will be closed to commemorate the Juneteenth holiday. First celebrated as a federal holiday last year, it marks the day in 1865 when a general with the Union Army informed slaves in Galveston, Texas that the Civil War was over and that they were free. Tuesday sees another round of primary elections with balloting taking place in Virginia and Washington, D.C. Tuesday also marks the start of astronomical summer with the summer solstice. Wednesday, a preliminary hearing is scheduled for Nicholas Roski, the California man arrested earlier this month in Maryland for what prosecutors say was a plot to kill Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Thursday, the World Health Organization is gathering experts for an emergency meeting to discuss monkeypox and whether it represents a public health emergency of international concern. More than 1,600 cases have been confirmed in 39 countries. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Rich Dennison, Fox News. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. DeRoy Murdoch. DeRoy Murdoch. What's on your mind? This Juneteenth and every Juneteenth thereafter, Americans, black, white, and in between, should applaud black success since emancipation, rather than wallow with the critical race theorists and all the wrongs. Some people use the occasion to focus on the severe pain and death that slavery inflicted on blacks in the South between 1619 and 1865. It would be far more useful, however, to celebrate so much that black Americans have accomplished since the original Juneteenth fully freed some four million emancipated slaves. That joyous day originally arrived on June 19, 1865. Having vanquished the Confederacy that April, victorious Union Army soldiers arrived at Galveston, Texas. They encountered that final group of slaves who had yet to learn that the South had fallen. More important, the men in blue uniforms read General Order No. 3 to people who, until then, were private property. That proclamation simply declared, all slaves are free. Henceforth, these black men, women, and children belong to themselves, not others. Booker T. Washington rose up from slavery, as he titled his fascinating memoir, he was born as the possession of his masters in 1856. Washington was free after the first Juneteenth, but he was spectacularly poor. For a while, he slept beneath a raised sidewalk in Richmond, Virginia. Washington soon educated himself and then others. He founded Alabama's Tuskegee Institute on July 4, 1881. It was among the very first historically black colleges and universities. Washington wrote and lectured widely and was the White House's first black dinner guest when Republican President Theodore Roosevelt welcomed him in October 1901. Madam C.J. Walker became America's first female millionaire entrepreneur. She earned her fortune in the early 1900s by marketing hair care products to fellow blacks. By selling Afrosheen before Afrosheen, she made enough money to buy a mansion in posh Westchester, New York, near that of John D. Rockefeller. The Netflix miniseries Self-Made dramatizes Walker's amazing story. 
It stars Octavia Spencer, a black success story in her own right, and an Academy Award winner, along with Sidney Poitier, Isaac Hayes, Whoopi Goldberg, Denzel Washington, Spike Lee, and numerous other exceptional black filmmakers. Black musicians Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington co-fathered jazz as W.C. Handy, Sidney Bechet, Ella Fitzgerald, Dizzy Gillespie, Quincy Jones, George Benson, Wynton Marcellus, and countless other black talents continue to polish this all-American art form to a blinding sheen. The Tuskegee Airmen bombed Adolf Hitler to bits and buried beneath smoldering rubble the notion that blacks lack the brains to fly. Jackie Robinson integrated baseball. Muhammad Ali was the greatest in the boxing ring. Michael Jordan towered over basketball. Tiger Woods dominated golf and still competes despite severe wounds from a February 2021 car wreck. Impresario Barry Gordy launched a whole new sound called Motown. Kenneth Chenault led American Express for 17 years. Ursula Burns was CEO of Xerox. Richard Parsons ran Citigroup and Time Warner. East Stanley O'Neill's grandfather was a slave. Two generations later, O'Neill chaired Merrill Lynch. Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice were U.S. Secretaries of State. Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch were U.S. Attorneys General. Kamala Harris is Vice President. And Barack Obama spent eight years as President of the United States. If he were alive, Dr. Martin Luther King likely would argue that, while there always is room to rise, his dream has come true. Beyond these famous names, millions of black Americans use their freedom to improve themselves, their loved ones, their communities, and this nation. I'm DeRoy Murdoch. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Did you hear the news? Now you can. With instant updates from Fox News for Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play news from Fox. In Fox News. It's the latest when you need it. On demand from Fox News and Amazon Alexa. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.